This evening we will be meditating upon the account of the Last Judgment, the sheep and the goats. And before we begin our prayerful meditation upon it, I'd like to just say a few words about its background and some of the points we might look to as we pray this portion of sacred scripture. First of all, as always, whenever we are engaged in Lectio Divina, it's a good idea to say, what does this passage say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands? What do these words say to help me understand more the will of God and God's plan for me? How does it draw me closer into a profound relationship of encounter with the Lord Jesus, with our Heavenly Father? And especially in this evening's passage, what does it tell me to do? What actions flow from this particular passage of scripture? We always must remember that our life in Christ lives between two words, come and go. We come to hear God's word and then we go to put it into practice. And that's very much what we see in this passage which speaks of the last judgment. There is an accountability in our life in Christ. A second point I think it's good to reflect upon as we meditate upon this passage of the, the last judgment is to reflect on where it is in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel as a whole, it is just before we begin the final days of the Lord as he moves towards his suffering, death, and resurrection. It's the last piece of the gospel before we start into that. It's the end of one of his discourses teaching us how to live. At the very beginning, right after the infancy narrative, we have the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. They tell us how we are to live. And this passage is the accounting at the end. It tells us of the last judgment on what God judges people on, the accountability. And just before it, the passage immediately before it, which we won't be praying tonight, it is the talent, the, the parable of the talents. All of us in our life, we're given the wisdom and the guidance of the Sermon on the Mount. We look at the miracles and the teachings of Jesus. Then we are told just before this, that we will be held to account by how we use the gifts God gives us. And then we have the last judgment. And at that point, the gospel in a sense finishes with the last judgment before he then moves on, St. Matthew, to tell us of the actions of the Lord in his suffering, death, and resurrection. So that's, I think, an important point to reflect upon. Always, whenever we pray the sacred scriptures, it's good to have a sense of where this particular passage fits. That's why it's a good idea to read the scriptures regularly from start to finish, because when we have a passage, we need to see its context. It's especially true when we come to the Holy Eucharist, because we have passages from Old Testament to St. Paul, Gospel, they just kind of come at us. And you know, we can forget the first reading when we're at the second and the second when we're at the Gospel. And so the more we have a sense of the context, the better we'll be able to appreciate that. So the context for this passage is the final judgment that brings to completion 
the message of the gospel. Another point is good to remember and reflect upon before we begin to pray this portion of sacred scripture is that this passage is a very important example of what the gospel is to do in our lives. Sometimes people speak wrongly of Christianity as a kind of an ideal. It's beautiful, it's majestic, it's magnificent, it's far beyond us. We can't actually live it. And that's not true. The Lord Jesus didn't come to show us a shining city on a hill far away that we'll never get to. The Lord God does not play with us, holding something always ahead of us, like one might play with a little cat or something, it's jumping up and down, but it never gets it. That's not, I don't think that's probably too bad to do with a little kitty, but it's not what God does for us. We're not played with by the Lord. He challenges us, and we see that very strongly in the passage. But by God's grace, we can live this way. We can live rightly. Notice he says that some of those do, in fact, do the right things. And when we fail, it's not that we're always a little bit short of the great ideal, which always is just a little bit ahead of us, never to be attained. But it is simply that we are sinners. And then we ask God's mercy and tomorrow try again. Christianity, the call of Christ, is a challenge. It is not an ideal, something far off beyond us that we kind of use to steer by, but it just can't actually be really lived. So we should think about that and keep it in our mind. We'll just avoid the word ideal whenever we're dealing with anything to do with our faith. It is rather the fact, the challenge, the engaging traction which the gospel has upon us to bring us to repentance, to bring us home. Not by our own efforts, because we can't do anything that much. But by God's grace, he gives us always the grace to live our Christian faith to the full. And what we see in the gospel is our Christian faith to the full. This passage as well speaks to us of something which we find again and again in sacred scripture, way back to the, the book of Deuteronomy and even beyond, that we are given options, directions. Our life in Christ is a choice, two ways. There was a great book early on, just a little bit after the gospels, I often speak of my favorite opening line, this book called The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, the Didache. And it begins, there are two ways, the way to life and the way to death, and there is a great difference between them. And I think that we could just say that at the beginning of every day. There are two ways, the way to life, the way to death, and there is a great difference between them. And that's what this passage of sacred scriptures tells us, the two ways, the sheep and the goats. And of course, the result of that is the challenge, is how am I to live this day? Everything I do, and the Lord gives many examples in today's gospel, will take me along the way to life or the way to death. And of course, visually, this is represented in some of the greatest art that we find. And when the cardinals are electing the Pope, 
They're doing it, we always do it these days, the last, I don't know, several hundred years at least, in the Sistine Chapel. And so as you're voting for Pope, you look up and you see the Lord Jesus, just as in today's gospel, and you have not exactly the sheep and the goats, but the way to heaven and the way to hell. And it is, there are two ways. And we are challenged to make the choice. And we always know that when we fail in our choice, God is there to call us not to continue along that path, but to come back, to come back home, to get in the right way. And we will never lack in the grace of God to bring us home, to help us who so often are like the goats, to come to be like the sheep, to come the right way. But of course, we can always choose to go the other way. So with that in mind, let us enter into a meditation upon this most profound portion of the Holy Gospel, just at the very conclusion of the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may let go of those things which hold us back. Take away from us those worries, those cares, which so distract us. Forgive us those sins, which are obstacles which block the pathway to our hearts. May the Lord come deep within us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. And then the righteous will answer him, O oh Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. 
And then he will say to those at his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the judgment of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. When finally, at the end of our life, and when finally we come before the Lord, whenever that might be, and we never know the day or the hour, it is the Lord Jesus who we will see on the glorious throne. And we will not be able to say to him, you do not know what it is like to be a person living this human life of ours. For you and your glory and your glorious throne surely cannot know what we go through on this earth. No, it is the Lord Jesus who was born a babe at Bethlehem, who lived amongst us, walked and talked with us, suffered and died for us. That is the one we encounter who sits on his glorious throne. We recognize the majesty of Christ, Christ in majesty, as we see in the great fresco of Michelangelo, The Last Judgment, Christ in majesty. That is who governs our life, that's the Lord. But he is the Lord who knows us and loves us, sees us, understands us, seeks to draw us to him and bring us home to his heavenly father. The stream of God's grace constantly draws us along, bringing us to the heavenly father. Although as we see later, and as we know in our hearts, we can go against it for we have the freedom to go the other way, to seek the way that leads to death and not the one that leads to life. Let's just meditate for a moment upon the vision of the Lord Jesus at the end of our life, the Lord and his glorious throne, and recognize that like the servants in the parable that comes just before this portion, we have been given gifts, talents, one five, one two, another one talent, whatever it may be. And we are judged according to how we make use of the gifts we are given. And most of the gifts are simply the use of our time. As we come before the Lord in his glorious throne, it's what do you do with the 24 hours I give you every day? Everyone from the President of the United States to the Pope, to you, to me, 
we all get the same gift of 24 hours. No more, no less. And so the Lord in judgment will ask us, as in the parable, how have you made use of the gift? And in this section, what is the result of how you've made use of your gift? So let's just meditate on that for a moment, reflect upon the majesty of the Lord, and think about for a moment what we will say when we come before the Lord on his glorious throne. How have we used our gifts? And especially the gift of time. For every other gift is external to us, but time is what we're made up of. Our life is woven out of time. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Before him will be gathered all the nations. This vision at the end of the Gospel of Matthew is very wide. It is the Gentiles, all the nations. And it's a good thing for us to remember as we look back through the gospel of what he expects of his disciples, and there are many parables that tell of that, and there are, there's a Sermon on the Mount that tells what he expects of his disciples. But as he gets right to the very end, he broadens it out, and all the nations will be gathered before him. So this message is not simply to the disciples, although obviously what he expects of all the nations, he expects of his disciples as well, so we can learn from it immediately too. But there are many a people, many people who perhaps have not heard the word of God, people who have been blocked perhaps by their observance of how Christians fail so often, how our lives can block the light of Christ, and we give poor witness and poor example. And perhaps in that way they do not, the nations, the Gentiles, the people who have not the gift of faith and do not have that gift, they may be scandalized by us. But everyone is called to live according to righteousness. We all are judged. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. All the commentaries point out that the shepherds would have a mixed group. Oh, you call it a flock or a herd or what? Have you got sheep and goats together? Anyway, a, a mixed group of these animals. And at nighttime, the sheep liked to be out in the open air and the goats were needed to be warm. They put them inside. So you have to separate them out. So they'd be doing this regularly. And as our Lord walked along the, the roads of Galilee and Judea, he would see this all the time, separating, separating, making a judgment. You go this way, you go that. There is a judgment. That's very important for us to remember. We don't simply continue along. We are 
there's a judgment made on which way we go. And we need to let that touch our hearts as well. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. There is accountability and we see it fulfilled at the end of this judgment scene. This way or that way, the way to life, the way to death. As St. Ignatius Loyola put at the beginning of his spiritual exercises, you have the banner of Satan and the banner of the standard of Christ. Which do you choose? Or as you might say, later disciples of St. Ignatius Loyola who might not be aware of it say, you make a decision for Christ. Always we, we don't just drift along in our life and we'll see in a moment how we need to make a decision of which path we follow. So let's think about that. What path am I on? When the moment of separation comes, when the judgment comes, and I no longer simply drift along, but come to that moment of focus, what will the Lord do in his judgment? Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate them one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. This is how we live our life in Christ. This is what God asks of everyone not only those who are his disciples, this is for the nations as well, to act rightly to those who are in need. And he gives very specific examples of this. The king will say to those at his right hand, come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're meant to live this way. We're meant to live within the kingdom, which is the very life with the blessed Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living a life of personal love. That's where we're meant to be. That's our destiny, if we are what God calls us to. And how do we show it? It's as our Lord did at the Last Supper, washing dirty feet. Our life in Christ, what we're judged on is not how ecstatic our religion will be, how exalted we come in prayer. Those are other things. They're Nothing wrong with them, but they're the dessert. They're the sizzle, not the steak. What the Lord asks of us, and we see this very clearly in one passage, the letter of St. James, is practical service. We see it here. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. It's in that actual engagement in our daily life that we show the authenticity of our faith. Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is God's plan for us. When we follow 
the Lord. When we even live rightly, and I think of our brothers and sisters who have no faith, but who are living rightly as best they can with what they know. Remember my dad used to say, do the best you can with what you got where you are. So we've been given such graces in the Holy Eucharist and the Word of God in the church. But we have given, we're given much, and we especially are expected. This is for the Gentiles, but we're expected even more so considering the gifts we've been given. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. These are the works of mercy. These are actions. This is love that flows from faith and hope. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the, the fruit of the life. This is what must be there. Let us not be sterile in our Christian life. And so, as we hear this, this is an examination of conscience. Have we done these things? Or have we been so absorbed in ourselves that we do not think of others to visit them, to care for them, to feed them, to do those practical things? We look back on the 2,000 years of our Christian faith and sometimes the enemies of Christ and the church and also those scandalized by the example of his, some of his disciples can point out ways that Christians have not done these things, for which we must ask God's mercy. But also, think of how we follow in the footsteps of the people, the sisters who just across the street founded St. Michael's Hospital and so many others around. Think of how the church and people led by the light of Christ have done all of these things. If a person is hungry or in need, in this city, just outside the doors of this church or anywhere, it is likely to be a person of faith who will reach out to them to help them to come out of the cold. And so we must be that way and look to ways we can do that. So let's think about that. How can I live in practice the works of mercy? For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when would we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They don't recognize the saints, often do not recognize what they are doing. And they do not recognize that in serving others, we are serving Christ. He doesn't say simply serve other people. He says, you, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. We must see the face of Christ in everyone we see around us. I remember once when I was uh, interviewed by a, uh, a young Muslim student. He had a project of asking different religious leaders 
what was sort of at the heart of their religion. And I said, well, you think of someone like Mother Teresa, who we knew about very well. She said, you know, do something beautiful for God. That when she would be caring for those people, she saw the person in front of them, but she sees Christ first of all. And he said, ah, cool. Which I think is a pretty good way of reflecting upon that. We think of the monastic tradition where they have from the great instruction of Benedict, receive each person as Christ. Receive each person as Christ. And we think of, I think of my, the patron saint of parish priests, uh, St. John Vianney, who did such wonders in his parish and his little village. And he didn't realize the good he was doing. He wasn't setting out just to become famous as a saint. He cared for people and he did so because he instinctively saw them, or by God's grace, as Christ that he served. So that needs to be the motivation in our life, to receive each person as Christ. That is what we need to think about. Do I do that? Or do I treat the people around me as things or as obstructions, or as nuisances, or as a waste of time. And we can be sure it is no waste of time, the precious time we have, the gift of talent of time, to be doing what the Lord talks about. That's the way we should be using our time. Or do I actually see the face of Christ in others? Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Let us see each person and receive each person as Christ. And we don't need lots of rules and regulations then. So often we don't do that. We need to just simply let that be our central point. The Lord God came amongst us to give us the opportunity to see the face of Christ and to show love to others and doing so to the Lord himself. And that is what it's all about. It is not complex. It is difficult because of our ego, not even to notice those in need. We're so absorbed in our own troubles. It's not complex. It's simple. See the face of Christ in others, period, and act accordingly. But it is difficult because of our sins and not because it's a rocket science to know what we need to do. Let's pray the Lord to help us to see the face of Christ in others and act accordingly. And then he will say to those at his left hand, depart from me, 
you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. We're reminded that there is judgment. The mercy of the Lord is superabundant, but it is not just mush. The mercy of the Lord is joined to justice and truth, like concave to convex, inseparable. It is not a sentimental goo. It is not that. That sentimental substitute for faith. The mercy of God, the love that we are called to show are real and based on reality. And they're not a kind of a vague kind of a thing. There is accountability. Now that's not the heart of the gospel in a sense, but it is part of the gospel. And in fact, it is the end of the gospel, the high point, just before we begin the passion narrative. It is the point we need to think about. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Sometimes people get this line and they start identifying the people who are going out the door. Um, let's, not get there, let's not go there. Sometimes people climb onto the glorious throne of our Savior and start making the cut this way or that. Let's not go there. That's not our, our role. But just because we can become self-righteous, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be righteous and doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. God does not treat us like a little animal to play with, for God calls us to what he expects us to live. And God does not treat us as if we are without free will, a great gift he gave to us. In so many parables, from the talents just before this to so many parables, there is a time when the master comes. Just before this, before the parable of the talents, we have the wise and the foolish virgins. There is a time when the master comes and then time's up. There is a judgment. And we need to simply be aware of that as a framework of the way in which we're called to live the joy of the gospel. And if we don't, if we, we get then cheap grace, we get a kind of a, that's okay, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, who cares? We're kind of good, you know, that stuff. And that is a thin gruel, a thin uh, fake substitute for the challenge, the call to repentance, to renewal, to new life, the challenge of the gospel. Framed by our awareness of our sinfulness and our need for God's mercy, and framed by our awareness of the constant, the grace of God always to lift us up and to bring us home. But there is judgment. 
we are not treated as if we have no free will. And am I saying that? No. The Lord Jesus Christ, Almighty God, is saying that. And we must give the words of sacred scripture the weight which they deserve. We must not create the Lord Jesus Christ in our image and likeness as if we were God. It is the Lord, the real Lord, who we, to whom we must listen, who we encounter, and who changes our lives. Not a kind of creature that simply says, that's okay. Because that's just self-referential. It's self-indulgent. And it's the opposite problem with a person always saying judgment, 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 which we can also get into too, but that's not what this is dealing with. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. So let's reflect in our lives, not only in the things bad that we have done, but maybe ask the Lord's mercy for the things good that we should have done, where we have sinned by omission. Because perhaps we're so caught up in ourselves, we didn't notice the other person. As the poor man was not noticed except by the good Samaritan at the side of the road. And then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And we did not minister to you. And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. Remember the vision of St. Paul, the experience of St. Paul on the road to Damascus? As he's riding along, going to persecute Christians, thinking he was doing the right thing, but wrong. How the Lord spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting Christians, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. But the Lord didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? He said, why are you persecuting me? And we might point out also, which is something to be attentive to as we seek to be authentic Christians, that Saul thought he was doing the right thing. He had a messed up conscience. And we can't let that go undealt with. And the Lord didn't with Saul. Conscience is our judgment of right and wrong. It's internal to us. And yet it is based upon reality, upon, it's a navigation system. Basically, it has hardware and software. 
The hardware is internally, we get maybe too scrupulous or too lax or whatever. We need to be attentive that our conscience is calibrated rightly. And the material we put in, garbage in, garbage out, you know the basic principle of computing. Well, we have to put in the coordinates of what should be there. If the navigation system of an airplane is working well, but they put in the wrong information, we won't get to the right airport. And we've got to get to the right airport. And so we got to be really attentive to conscience to be sure we, we know what is right. Conscience isn't a god. Conscience isn't a piece of magic. Conscience isn't a trick. Conscience is a navigation system. And so we need to pray the Lord to help us be sure we have our internal calibration right, so we're not too strict or too weak and not too lax. But we also have to be sure we get fed into it. The navigation, we won't go the right way, we won't end up in the right place. We may not be our fault in a sense, it's, we, we mess it up. But we do have a responsibility to form our conscience. Conscience is conscience with knowledge. Sometimes people have a view of conscience that says, if you sort of feel okay, well, go for it. That's what God wants. It's not what God wants. This is what God wants. What God wants, we know. It's in the Holy Word of God. He went to some trouble to get it right for us. His suffering, death, and resurrection, his living amongst us, is teaching us. If for no other reason, we should listen to what he says and let our conscience be formed. It's not just, I feel okay. So go and do it. Conscience as a sort of a soppy, emotional, gee, I'm okay, that looks good to me, is self-indulgence and ego-centered and totally subjective. And believe me, we don't get to the right airport if we put the wrong information into the navigation system. There are two ways, the way to life and the way to death. And there is a great difference between them. That's what Jesus is telling us here and in the whole gospel. And if we don't get that through our thick skulls, which is very difficult to do because we're all pretty proud and resistant to it, God help us. Well, God will help us, but he helps us by giving us this. So flying solo without navigation is not a smart move. And it's not what Jesus suffered and died on the cross to leave us with. He gave us questions, but he also gave us answers. And here they are. And he will answer them. This is the Lord Jesus speaking here. He says this, he will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. Therefore, change your life. Do it to them the right way. Don't just say, but I kind of liked it doing it this way. Seemed good to me. That's not the direction to go. And they will go away to an eternal punishment for the righteous to eternal life. In case we didn't get the point. I guess you could simply say, in using an idiom of our language, this 
passage in the Last Judgment can be summarized in one word. Hello? Hello? Knock, knock, anyone home? I don't think that's in any of the great commentators, but let's get a grip and read the Word of God and see what the Lord is saying to us. And then, as the Lord so often says, go and do likewise. Change our lives. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed. It is the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, 
to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit.